up, everybody? It's Miles Turner, the Indiana Pacers. You listen to the Pace Rules Podcast. Be sure to follow at Pace Rules on Twitter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pace Rules Podcast, the only Australian NBA podcast with a bias toward the Indiana Pacers, who lost three out of four coin flips today, but won the right one. They beat the Wizards. And they give themselves a 6.8% chance at Victor Wembanyama as we enter the off-season for the team. We've had exit interviews. We've had uh, early draft talk, as we spoke about last week. And now we know where the Pacers will draft, at least at the end of the first round, and what their likelihood is of getting a top pick in uh, the first seven or eight. So we know that for sure, which is really nice. Adam and Alex with you this week. We'll go through the coin flip odds of each pick. I want to recap on who a few of the key websites around the world have us taking at seven or who they have ranked the seventh best player. And then we'll get into the free agency class of 2023, which doesn't really look all that good. Alex, I'll go to you first. We lost three out of four coin flips, but at least we got just a slightly better chance than the Wizards at the top pick and a slightly better chance overall at a high pick than the Wizards. So the best result we could hope for, um, even though the Cavs, the Celtics, and Houston lost their coin flips. If you're in an unlucky NBA team contest, you want it to be with the Washington Wizards. So I always yeah, felt good true. about our luck there. They seem to have worse luck than us, which I don't know how that's even possible. But yeah, we, we won the most important one. That was the one I wanted to win. Obviously, I, I'm, I don't know. Maybe this is just me and no one else really cares as much. But I'm nervous about that 30-second pick because I really, yeah. really want that. I, uh, I'm i going to be rooting. I think we need the Spurs to finish higher, right? Yes. Than the Rockets yes, or – yeah. So, so come lottery night in a month's time, we're all Spurs fans. But um, yeah, yeah, that, that seventh pick, as you said, it, it's funny. You look back at the past years, the seventh picks or the seventh best odds actually been lucky. The Kings moved up from seven to two, ended up taking Marvin Bagley, but, you know, they still got the second <laughs> pick. Then they moved up from seven to four to take Keegan Murray last year. So look, I mean, yeah, if there is a spot to be in that like six to 10 range, it feels like seven is the spot. Look, who knows? The Pacers probably won't get lucky, but I still think I've looked pretty extensively at this draft class and we'll talk about it a bit, but I think there's some guys there, even if we do draft in the seven to nine range. So for the Pacers, they have a just a shade under a 30% chance at one of the top four picks, which gives them a shade over a 70% chance of between pick seven and 10 they have a less than 0.0% chance of pick 11. So let's not talk about that happening. So 6.8% chance for pick one, 7.1% for pick two, 7.5% for pick three, 7.9% for pick four. The pick that they are most likely to get given those odds is pick eight at 35.6%. But they find themselves in seventh position in the NBA draft lottery, which will be held in around a month's time. So I'll take you through... Uh, who each of the three websites that I've picked randomly, The Ringer, The Athletic, and ESPN, have the seventh overall best player in this draft. And I want your thoughts on them, Alex. You know a lot more about this than me. So for The Ringer, uh, they have Jerace Walker 
freshman out of Houston. Shades of Larry Johnson and Carl Landry. A versatile wrecking ball on defense and a skilled playmaker on offense. He's 6'8". So he plays that forward position that we need. Alex, early thoughts on Jarace Walker? He's one of my guys. I doubt he drops to seven. I think he's... Obviously, the draft is so tough. Right, his one pick and throw everything off. No one thought Giddy was going to go six. Like everyone thought Suggs was a consensus top four. So, look, for me, I think Walker will go above us. But man, he's like the prototype player. I think he's a little bit of a Draymond Green, Scotty Barnes. That 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 was my kind of comp for him. Yep. His playmaking is super underrated. He is one of the best playmakers in this class, especially for his size. Um, obviously, the jump shot's going to be big for him. I think if he can kind of expand that offensive game a little bit, he's going to be a big-time problem. But, yeah, if you look at what this Pacers roster needs, what is it? Defense? Toughness. Rebounding? Yep. And the four spot. (laughs) So he takes all three of those things. I think he would fit seamlessly. I also wonder, my question about another prospect, Cam Whitmore, is his age. Like, is Rick Carlisle wanting to play at 19-year-old, one of the youngest guys in the league, uh, Whitmore would be next year? Like, would he want to play him if they're trying for that top six spot as a starter? That That's my question mark with kind of the pace of thought process. I don't know. I think Walker would be a more day-one-ready starter. Do you think they would even consider – Would you do you think that they will factor that in come draft night? I feel like there's the ability uh, to go get one of those guys. I feel like you can carry one young player on your team. Mm-hmm. I think the the resounding message that I got from Kevin Pritchard's press conference at the end of the season was that they don't plan on uh, filling this roster with young players. They They want to accelerate the development of this team. They want to make the playoffs. They want to make noise. And, you know, you can do that with one guy like that. You can do that with one kid. And, and in actuality... That can really set up your culture as well because the, you know, the excitement is infectious of a rookie. And, you know, for, for Matherin and Nemhard, we saw that happen this year. For Duarte, even, you know, last season, he bought some excitement at least to the ball club. And, you know, there was it was a period of transition from Sabonis to Halliburton. So you can't really gauge that too much. Not that Duarte is the most excitable young man. Uh, going around, but I feel like if you get someone who is super motivated, super excited, has a really strong uh, feel for the game and is able to fit in seamlessly with the best players on your team, then, you know, I, I feel like it's a, it's a natural fit that the Pacers clearly want maturity because that was one of the things they said about Benedict Mathurin when they selected him, that he had, You know, he believed that he belonged in the league. He worked really hard. He wanted to continue to work hard. I mean, you look at Cam Whitmore, he's he's ranked nine on the Ringers draft board, but he's ranked seven uh, in the ESPN mock draft. So the so ESPN actually have the Pacers taking Cam Whitmore, which is interesting. Um, And they're all around the same sort of consensus area. The Athletic has Cam Whitmore at five. Uh, and has Jarace Walker at eight. So with that in mind, I mean, you, you're looking all around the same area. And if unless we jump up to that top four and can take potentially an Amen Thompson or a Brandon Miller, then you're looking at that next tier of forwards. And that's headlined, obviously, by Whitmore uh, and Walker. So um, I, I think they 
give it a crack. Like I feel like they, if they feel like the players, you know, a ten-year career player with the Pacers, then they're going to take the guy. Where I probably struggle to think that they will go all in is based on Kevin Pritchard's response. What we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, uh, and that is packaging the 26, 29, 32nd pick, maybe Buddy, maybe something else. For a second lottery pick, I think is highly unlikely based on that response. What do you think? Yeah, that was the the trade that we were talking about a lot. I think that it's tough because the Thunder did that. Then they made the play-in and almost made the playoffs. That's the example I keep coming back to. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I just – look, Christian Wood, the Mavs, I know that didn't work out, but they traded their late first for him and then – I think the Blazers traded a pick in the 20s, right, for Jeremy Grant. So that kind of seems to be the direction teams are going in. If there's like that fringe starter, 18-point-per-game scorer, teams are giving up first-round pick to get him. So, yeah, look, the Pacers have those assets. If they want to go in that direction, they can. But just going back to, to Whitmore really quick, he's the same age as Bronny James. I just saw that the other day. which was Crazy, isn't it? That, that's insane to me how young yeah. he is. I mean, yeah, that that I think that has to factor in a little bit. But, man, I, the thing that excites me about this draft class and should excite Pacers fans is all the guys we're talking about, 6'7", 6'8", 6'9". Like, they're all that prototype NBA wing, and that's what the Pacers need. We were rolling out four-guard lineups. I don't think we'll be seeing much of that uh, next season. Well, that's, that's what I'm loving about, you know, even being at this point in the draft. You look at all three mocks and they have three guys right around um, that space. They have Walker, they have Whitmore, and then they have a guy that the Pacers almost definitely won't take in Anthony Black um, mm. because we we are good. Thank you very much. We 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 have a we have a playmaking guard that that um, you know shades of Lonzo Ball. Yeah, sure, but probably not. Um, so we we need we clearly need a forward will clearly be choosing if they are available between Walker and Whitmore at that sort of level. So you just hope that they are actually available because then you look at the Thompson twins and look, I'm going to say it overtime elite, man, it's not the NBL. It's not college. I I'm really not confident that uh, that can translate. And it, I'm not saying that they're not going to be really good players, but um, for Lamelo, we had to see it in the NBL to be able to believe it. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Has anyone else come from Overtime Elite to this point and got drafted and had a really good start? Like, I, I don't know much about Overtime Elite, but this is two kids that are, you know, the centerpiece of that program and and the shining light of that program. Clearly, like they're, you know, um, there's a lot of uh, effort being put into making sure that these guys are, are built into stars. But uh, I, I just struggle to be confident that they're going to be able to play at this level and justify a draft slot as high as three, four, five. Yeah, I think that's why I'm always higher. And maybe us as international fans, yeah. I feel like we're normally higher on guys like Lamelo, Giddy even Ryan repair this year because yep. they have that, like they're playing in one of the best leagues in the world. That experience is so big, but 
it, it's tough. I think Shaden Sharp actually helps them a little bit because he didn't play a game at college. He went, yep. played high school, dominated, sat a year. I'd almost rather that than well. overtime elite, frankly. Well, like, <laughs> at least he got that college experience, I guess. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, even even G League Ignite is now a proven pathway. Like Dyson Daniels right, had a yeah. reasonable rookie season, so you you have to look at that and think to yourself, well, okay, that's you know that is a pathway that you can legitimately take, and it translates to NBA level. Like the talent is is translatable, but I. I I kind of get shades of Dante Exum not playing at all and kind of grainy footage of him playing in like fever under 19 tournaments. And and he took 10 years to get to where he is now, which is like, he's following the Joe Ingalls trajectory right now. He's, um, you know, a really highly touted youngster. Didn't really get, got a look in at the NBA, which Joe never did. Um, failed there. But for Joe, it was going to Europe and go to FC Barcelona um, and having really, really good seasons consistently with guys like Juan Carlos Navarro and those sorts of guys and, and winning a lot in Eurobasket. And for Dante Exum, he is, you know, getting to the bucket at will and defending at a really high level in Europe. And, like, that's great, but it took him 10 years to get there. So that's concerning because you don't want to wait that long. You need a guy who is ready to go and ready to help you make the playoffs next season but you also need to maximize the value you get from your pick you can't afford to pick someone who is um chris duarte's age you can't afford to pick someone who's 24 25 who's older than tyrese halliburton you have this is your last chance to pick a kid to pick a good kid who can play with your team for the next 10 seasons who can you know, influence your culture positively, who can be a centerpiece of your franchise, who you control the rights of for his first four years and then restricted free agency. You do not want to flame out on Grady Dick, on, you know, a guy that is older and more proven at college level because being proven at college level doesn't mean squat, really. Like it, 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 doesn't really mean as much as the upside of some of these guys. And we've seen that once again, I'll bring it up again. Moses Moody looks like a way better prospect than Chris Duarte right now. And the fact of the matter is that, yeah, it, it worked for the short term, but this is not a, this shouldn't, this has to work out both in the short term and the long term. This is your last chance for a lottery pick. Can I just say, I thought we were going to go a whole podcast without mentioning Grady Dick. I, really yeah, yeah. I, I won't do it. I won't but, do it. Uh, yeah. The thing that, that annoyed me with the Duarte pick was that it was a very short term decision in my mind, at least like they picked Duarte for that team. They didn't pick yeah. him for a team that they would have in two or three years. Yeah. So that, that, that is what annoyed me with that pick. And obviously look, it's harder when you're picking 13 than when you're picking six or seven. I get that. But of course. you're right, you're right. This year, I mean, it's kind of the, the two side of the coin, right? Like you want to take a hit on the guy who might have the most upside. That might be the guy that flops the hardest though in the league. So it, it, are you a team that's in a position to take that risk? And look, I'll, I'll ask you this. If we get the second pick, because I've seen this debated by Pacers fans, if we get the second pick, do you take Scoot Henderson and figure out the rest later? Or do you go another, do you trade back or do you take Brandon Miller? What do you do there? 
I feel like you you have to take Brandon Miller. I mean, he's six nine for starters, and you know we one of his one of his strengths is being a good on ball defender. I mean, he is he is the guy I've been asking about since we started this podcast. He has the size, he has the length, he has the potential to be able to defend the best player on the opposition team in the East and in the West. So based on that, he's, you know, a decent ball handler. He's a good rebounder. Um, you know, I, I just, I couldn't justify taking Scoot and we're just working out the rest later. I mean, if there was a team in love with Scoot at two and you could trade back and get something, then yeah, sure. But I feel like unless you unless you effectively say, well, we think Matherin's a three. We think Matherin's a small forward and that's where he's going to maximize his career. So we believe that we can win with Halliburton, Scoot Henderson and Matherin all in the same starting lineup. We think we can defend at a high level um, with those three players in the starting lineup, then I, I just can't justify doing it unless unless you really truly believe that that is the right decision. I mean, Scoot's six foot two. He's a good defender, but he's six foot two, so he was always going to get you know mismatches um, on defense. Tyrese isn't the best defender going around. Matherin has a lot to learn about defense as well. Carlisle is an offensively minded coach, always has been. Um, he's been bailed out by in the championship year by Tyson Chandler and Sean Marion. So really, if you are going to have, you know, potentially a couple of transcendent offensive players on the floor with very little to no defense, then you better have all world defenders at the other positions to be able to cover for them. And I mean, Marion was unbelievable because he could also stretch the floor and he could guard LeBron James. So, you know, I'm not saying that Brandon Miller is going to be Sean Marion, but um, you have to consider the fact that he's that sort of archetype in terms of the size, the ability, the potential and He's probably the safer pick, honestly, at two for me um, because we've seen guys that size um, and with that skill set succeed time and time and time again. Yeah, I think it's tough for me because Scoot goes number one in 80 to 90% of drafts, yeah. I think. And then the other the other side of that is I look at the Cavs as kind of the blueprint for how you maybe could yes, make that work. It's true. Because they have Darius Garland and Mitchell is, I just looked it up, Mitchell is shorter than Scoot Henderson, which kind of shocked me a little bit. And obviously Donovan Mitchell is a transcendent offensive talent and you would have to hope that uh, that, that Scoot, Scoot got to that level. Somewhere close yeah. to that sort of, you know, so, 28, 29 points a game. But yes, the problem is with that is, you know, you can probably compare Turner's role to Mobley's role in in that or, sense. Yeah, or Jared. Because, yeah, but Turner does a rebound. 
So with I love Miles. Always love did, Miles. Did, did the Cavs rebound last game against the Knicks? I, I was... <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I, I mean, you you better get you better get someone incredible. You better get two incredibly strong defensive forwards, mm. and that probably brings us to the free agency class because you said a name before we jumped on, and I mean, if you don't draft a power forward, you're throwing Jeremy Grant a lot of money. A lot of money. Because why not? It's crazy. Why not throw him three years, 90 million? Like, who cares at this point? I was going to say, he turned down a contract offer by the Blazers during the season. Yep. So, look, who knows what's going on in Portland? Dame says something about staying and then maybe leaving every week. Like, they keep asking him about it. But, yeah, I, I was actually taken by surprise at how good Jeremy Grant was this year. I just looked it up. 20 points. 40% from three on over five attempts. I mean, he's the guy who we've kind of been looking for, right? Like we we got giddy at the signing of Tory Craig because we thought he was going to be that stopper, that yeah. Giannis stopper for us. Um, look, I'm, yeah, Jeremy Grant is the guy I think the Pacers should target if they don't, as you said, if they don't draft Walker, if they don't draft Whitmore or someone at that position in the draft. I mean, he, he look. I'll say this. I know we shouldn't bring up this name on the podcast, but another name, Gordon, Gordon, Gordon Haywood. If they trade for him as an expiring, could actually fit. Boys, don't kill me. Oh no, 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 no! I I can't. I said it because Justin wasn't here as well. Can't entertain it. (laughs) Justin's never coming on the show ever again. Um, look, I, I get it, but I mean that's probably. Probably a reason why you draft Scoot if you think you've got Jeremy Grant like in the bag, effectively. Mm-hmm. Because if if you can get Jeremy Grant and another Ford that can defend at a really, really high level, and those those guys exist in the league. Those guys exist in free agency, they exist, you know, on the trade market. Um if you feel like you can get Jeremy Grant and someone else uh, to play those roles, then yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, y- you have to consider that, that that is an option. I mean, you, you look at obviously with a player option, unlikely to decline it, but Chris Middleton, I mean, he's, he's been super banged up, but he's 32, but he's won, cha- he's won a championship. And could you throw a three-year max at him? You know, you you have to prioritize defense somewhere, and particularly if you draft Scoot, then you then you're just going out and getting the best defenders humanly possible at every possible position because you're committing to playing those three guys together for stretches at the very least. So you're going to need Jeremy Grant, Miles Turner, you know, disrupting the opposition and flying around and making plays, and you know. Um, yeah, making stuff happen on the defensive end because you, you just won't get what you need out of the other three guys. I, I would be excited if we got Scoot Henderson just because of the ability for him to be a talent. And you're right. Like you you look at the model that um, that has been enacted in Cleveland and, you know, Matherin could be your Karis LeVert, your six-man off the bench that can score 20 points or you can slot him into the starting lineup, as I said. And, you know, he could score 20 points a game. Scoot uh, has upside as a 25 to 30 points per game scorer 
and Mathur and Halbert, and we've seen what he can do. So you get Jeremy Grant and Miles Turner with them, and then you get another elite defender to be able to deploy with two out of those three guys. And, I mean, that's that's effectively what Cleveland have done, right? Yeah, well, what Cleveland does so well is that front court of Mobley and Allen. Right? I mean, Mobley, yeah. Defensive Player of the Year candidate in his second season, that's ridiculous. I don't know how even – like how that that is beyond fathoming for me. That's crazy. So good. So, um, so good. And and look, even with their three spot, like their three spot is weak. They're, they're, let's yes. be honest, like between Okoro, sorry, Osman, like it is not good. So And they're still the number one rated defense in the league, which gives me hope to what you're talking about. If you can build upon your Miles Turner, Jeremy Grant, or whoever that four guy is, you can still build a pretty good defense. Okay. Everyone has to take a shot now if they're listening to the podcast because I'm going to mention the name again for the fifth time in a row. You Let's say you get Scoot Henderson, you get Jeremy Grant. Do you trade as many picks as possible, a contract for OG Ananobi? <laughs> and then you've got your defenders, you've got your scorers, and then you've got the versatility in your lineup. I mean, that's what? let's let's see. Like, if you just said, you know, buddy, four firsts, something, you know, maybe a lottery protected first for the future, uh, and you said your your starting lineup was Miles, Jeremy Grant, um, OG, Scoot, Tyrese Halliburton, with Matherin as your six man, then, hey, off to the races we go, right? <laughs> like, th- that is. Almost perfect, is it not? Yeah, well, my thing is the Raptors just they're asking prices ridiculous. Yeah, and that's why it was ridiculous. At four first rounders, it's <laughs> like, you, you might have to throw Masai about 10 first rounders for yeah, OG because yeah. I mean, we we offered him well, Zach Lowe reported we offered three first at the deadline. Yeah. We probably didn't have a lottery pick though, that's the problem. Well, that, that's true, that's true, but his contract is worse now, like he's yeah. expiring so. If you trade three first for this dude and then he leaves in 12 months, you look like a goose. So, yeah, yeah that, that's the tough thing about OG. But, man, I know we talk about Indiana guys a lot and we kind of laugh at it, the uh, the the love they have for indie dudes, for the, the Pacers fans. But OG is that dude. Like, if we could get OG, I think he's the perfect, perfect three for this roster. Absolutely. And... You know, I think the other one that you you have to look at is Jalen Brown. I mean, there's not necessarily something that he's not exactly happy in Boston. The problem with that is that the amount of money that guy's going to make in his next extension is going to be ungodly. So Mm -hmm. you're potentially signing Tyrese Halliburton to a $180 million extension and then Jalen Brown to a $200 million extension if you trade for him, not to mention what it will cost you to trade for him, which will be... Just obscene, just an obscene number of picks and players, and it would gut everything that you're building. So, are you almost better off sort of waiting for him to sign as a free agent because the Pacers always get so many free agents? Um, you know, under under the radar guys, uh, you know, Kyle Kuzma has has had a little bit of a resurgence in terms of his career. Gary Trent. Um, is a guy that the Raptors have sort of relied on. He's in his mid-20s, so he's still relatively young and, and due a payday. Um, 
and Josh Hart is a free agent end of next season. You would think the Knicks want to keep him because he's playing really, really well and doing everything that uh, they need him to be able to do. Um, but I mean, there are guys that exist out there. Uh, even if you, you know, you know, the, we spoke about like the Isaac Okoro role in uh, in Cleveland. Uh, a team that could be rebuilding is Chicago. Patrick Williams is has barely scratched the surface of what he could potentially be, and he's a small forward. He's you know twenty three years old or nearly twenty three years old, and and could potentially be a defense a defender for you that could have a a long and prosperous career. Um, so, I mean, there are options. They're not the options that you want, but they all are unlocked by your ability to draft one of those guys at in the top sort of seven or eight picks. I mean, the Miller thing, of course, he's had a bit of controversy. He apparently supplied a gun to a friend to end up killing someone. Like, do you, with the whole Jar Morant story that came out this year, are the Pacers want to go anywhere near a guy that has any sort of controversy associated with them, particularly if they're picking in that second or third spot. Um, that's an, in another question entirely. Organizational fit has always been something that Kevin Pritchard has preached. So um, you would think that they would be really cautious in making that sort of decision too. And that could factor in. That could mean that basically Miller's got no chance of being a pacer. Hey, they crossed out John Collins in 2017. Yep. I heard because of some off-court or locker room issues. So... Yeah, the Pacers take that stuff pretty seriously. Yep. As well they should. Like I, I respect it because, you know, you're you're effectively saying we we absolutely will not um stand for any of that stuff. So yeah, it's gonna be a really interesting next few months. We will be with you across the entirety of that and we'll come to you again next week. We'll talk a little bit more about free agency. Justin will be back, so we'll get his thoughts. Um we will open the show with his thoughts on Gordon Haywood. So you don't want to miss that. Uh, and he and Alex can have a full debate about how much they uh, want or don't want Haywood to sign with the Pacers. So stay tuned for next week's episode. That may or may not happen. We've been the Paceroos. Thanks so much for listening and see you again next week.